Well, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another edition of It's Everything. I'm your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar, and I'm so happy to be with you on another glorious Sunday. I hope your Sunday is uh, as bright as I think ours is here in the studio today, because as always, we um, definitely um, have a... Um, a great lineup of guests for you that, you know, kind of come from definitely uh, a spectrum of advocacy and helping the community and serving the community today, kind of from two different, um, you know, looks at it, I guess is the best way to put that. But um, but we'll be uh, joined today by um, someone from Toronto, Canada. Can you believe that Toronto, Canada is calling us today? Um, Louis Molnar is the chair of an organization called Twain Bow. There we go. Twain. I got to get that like Shania Twain. Twain Bow, which is an advocacy group for an LGBT plus community. And I'm going to define that for you real quickly. People who are LGBT who also. Um, have autism and it's a kind of a new group or a group that we haven't been made aware of on, on large numbers but you'll be shocked of the statistics on who it affects so um, he'll be with us today and also I'll be bringing on the show someone who's a dear friend of mine um, and has been serving the community celebrating now uh, 30 years as a sister of perpetual indulgence so sister Roma here in San Francisco will be joining us uh, later on. But I'm not going to hold you to any more rhetoric from me right now, and I will definitely bring right on right now Louis Molnar, who is calling us from Toronto. Are you on the phone? Absolutely. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> it's a great day. It, it's a fantastic day, in fact. Uh, you know, we don't have that much snow uh, right now in Toronto, so anytime you don't <laughs> okay, <laughs> touch I... through all that, you're good <laughs> i agree with that i agree with that because <laughs> yeah. i i haven't been to toronto believe it or not i mean a lot, of, a lot of people are shocked about that i haven't been to toronto but i have been to quebec so i know what it is when it's really really cold you know uh, 30 <laughs> 30 or 40 degrees below zero and uh, because for some reason every time that i've been there has been during the winter i'm just crazy like that i don't know yeah, Toronto's uh, Toronto's lower in uh, in latitude than uh, about a dozen states. Wow, so we're actually a little bit warmer than a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, we're here on the show today with you because you definitely serve uh, on the board representing an organization that I had no. You know, I didn't have any awareness that it existed, nor did I have any awareness of why it exists. And um, you, you were very, uh, you know, I was very shocked to hear um, the statistics and everything about, you know, why this organization is important. And um, so you are the chair of Twain, uh, Twain Bow, which is right now kind of headquartered in Toronto. Am I correct? or, or It's um, actually headquartered in Oregon, so they're on okay. the West Coast. Um, yeah, and we're a global uh, uh, global organization, so we've got <laughs> representation pretty much everywhere. So why don't you tell our, our public that is listening right now exactly what does Twain Bow do? It, Twain Bow is a global not-for-profit dedicated to uh, advocacy for those under the LGBT plus and autism double rainbow. Uh, we call it the double rainbow because the LGBT plus community is represented by the rainbow flag and combined with the autism spectrum, also a rainbow. We have two rainbows. Yeah. Rainbow number two as well. So, yeah. 
Now, this is something that I'm sure when you uh, meet with people or speak with people that they're kind of shocked about something like this exists or there is some correlation, I guess, or a connection with autism and the LGBT community. Uh, I'm sure many people aren't aware of, of the connection. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we have, uh, within, the, within the autism community, uh, before it was formed, it, uh, there had been outcry by uh, autism leaders such as Temple Grandin, uh, John Elder Robinson. They, they know people within the community would be very familiar with those names. But, uh, um, in, in fact, Temple Grandin had a, uh, um, a, a film, so you know, some people out there may know uh-huh. that. Uh, but... Um, it, yeah, it's not it's not commonly known, uh, but you know it's um, the reason that people are so interested in uh, Twainbow and what we do is because uh, it's an underserved and uh, largely ignored um, portion of the population in general. But of course, with the LGBT community as well. Well, is is a now I. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, there's about five million people worldwide estimated to be yeah. identified as being, um, you know, so, uh, you know, have, having both of those um, designations or, <laughs> you know, uh, categories <laughs> that define them. Um, yeah. I don't know. You, uh, and it, and that's a large amount of people. I guess it's estimated about two percent of the LGBT community may be a part of this kind of uh, other category, uh, LGBT plus, as you put it. Yes, absolutely. And those are incredibly conservative statistics. You know, it was the UCLA Williams Institute, you know, Gary Gates over there. Um, his, uh, his statistics are three, that the LGBT community comprises 3.5% of the population. And we can argue that all day long because, you know, I, I stick to the old, old school 10%, you know, or whatever. But, um, but we, we, we do focus on 3.5%. So that alone is conservative. And then, of course, because we lack uh, diagnosis or, you know, um, or, or even a focus on trying to get it out there. There's still so much stigma associated with it. A lot of people won't get uh, diagnosed or they were too old, you know, um, whenever they uh, got diagnosed. So those numbers are incredibly conservative, but it is 3.5% of 2.2%. Now, you're a part of this group as well, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Absolutely. And one thing that I, you know... Um, that you point out in in talking about you know um, being diagnosed and coming out with this is that there is some perception about the when you hear the word autism or mm-hmm. or someone you we have as a public a general public have the wrong perception of what that really means. Um, mm-hmm. I think many of us would probably say it's someone who has the inability to do certain things or, or has major challenges in doing certain things, and um, and that's not necessarily a true statement. That, that's right. Now, autism is, is um, I guess if we should define it, it is a neurological difference mm-hmm. uh, from um, what we call neurotypically or neurologically typical. We call them neurotypicals, in which the brain is wired different from an early age. It, some, it could be in utero, uh, some you know, after birth, I'm not quite sure. Uh, the causes are still debated, although what is certain is that there is a genetic source, according to Stanford and UCLA, amongst other research groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the autism estimates range from 1 in 50 to 1 in 38. But uh, the, the key features in autism are a high sense of logic and structure, 
um, when taking things literally, for example, uh, as well as a lack of what we call filters. Mm-hmm. And so they could be physical or touch, or it could be loud sounds or smells and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, and, and a lot of things, I think with a lot of people that can be overlooked and just seen as a little bit different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and not, and not, we shouldn't also think of it as being always at the extreme of the, the degrees of, you know what I'm saying? Is, instead of saying Absolutely. that someone, you know, cause we are used to seeing, um, either visually from, you know, TV or, or just other type of documentaries, you know, um, b- uh, based on autistic, um, uh, persons in that, you know, there always seems to be a, 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 a on the, on the far end of the spectrum in, in any way. And so I just wanted to make sure that people, um, are, are, we're talking about uh, people who can go uh, undiagnosed because their degree may not be of what we normally see. I guess is is the best way to put that. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. And you know, a lot of the misperception I think with uh, autism is the fact that uh, in the actual name of uh, autism is the autism spectrum disorder, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, within psychological. Uh, you know, terms that is uh, a disorder is out of the typical, I guess that's the way of putting it. But a lot of people see that word, they, they, they call it, they kind of, uh, I guess, align it with defect, disease, uh, those sorts of things. And, and in fact, it is, you know, we are different, but we are also normal. Mm-hmm. We are normal for us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's important to remember. Well, what about this connection, though, that in, in the research um, that there's found to be some connection between autism and um, gender dysphoria, or most people would, uh, general terms, say transgender. What, what, what is that connection um, that has been found? It's really interesting um, what... Um, in, in both the International Review of Psychiatry and the LGBT Health Journal, uh, we found that uh, there was a study that found that 8% of transgender people are autistic. Wow. Have autistic traits, which is four times higher than what you'd find in the, in, um, in the neurotypical population. Uh, they have put that down to uh, a limited ability to articulate inner experience. Um, we, in autism, we tend to have challenges uh, seeing the grays of the world, mm-hmm. um, not all, and I'm speaking in my experience and what I've seen and also what, you know, is out in research and that sort of thing, but um, we tend to see the world in black and white and have difficulty in seeing some of the overlaps in the gray areas. And, and at that, uh, what I have heard from other transgender people who are also autistic is, you know, there's this feeling that, you know, I, and also this report um, in, um, in LGBT health, they they have difficulty seeing, you know, well, if I act more masculine, then I must be actually a male. Mm-hmm. And that's where that, that's where that feeling comes from. Now, I like to argue, and I don't think it's as simple as all that, but, uh, but that's where they come from with that, yeah. Wow, that, that's a large percentage, 8%. That's eight um, percent is huge. Oh, it's it's real huge. Um, and 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 also on some of the things that you talk about and you have talked about is that um, in in the autistic community or those that serve the autistic community, there is some dissension on whether or not what you talk about and your group talks about as far as the twain bow goes or what you call a double rainbow uh, uh, really does that ex- exist i mean is there some 
um, you know, is there some battle with with um, with the autistic community to even, you know, get them to believe that the LGBT plus exist? That it's it's it it can actually be, there are a lot of challenges I think in there now. Uh, we certainly they do understand, and, and every other autistic person I speak with that that are, um, you know, perhaps uh, heterosexual mm-hmm. or um, uh, cisgender. Uh, do understand that there are people who are gay or transgender or um, that sort of thing. Uh, but a lot of the challenges that, that occur within the community are in uh, terms. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, ableists, which which believe that most on the spectrum should be treated differently and held apart on most levels. So there's literally that group. There's disableists who believe that those on the spectrum are permanently disabled and should kind of receive more exceptions. Um, and integrationists, I'm an integrationist, believe in acceptance and integration of those on the spectrum, saying, hey, we're normal. Um, we can, you know, we, we're, of course, capable of anything, and it, it's just getting uh, maybe some additional um, training on kind of working within, you know, social norms and that sort of thing. Not to change. We're not about changing yeah. <laughs> anybody, but kind of getting some help there. And so those are some, some real challenges within the autism community. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to take a, a, a little break here. And when I come back, I want to talk to you about um, the challenges that those who are in the LGBT plus have with dealing with both being LGBT and being autistic and what your group is doing to trying to help with that. Um, so we'll be right back of this message with Lewis Molnar, who is with Twain Bone. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.
Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. Of course, we try and bring you everything every time for everybody. And I think today we actually hit that mark right on the head there because we are joined today right now by uh, Louis Molnar, who is a chair and your co-founder or founder of Twain Bow. Is that correct, Louis? That's right. I am the founder. Yeah, you got this thing rolling here. I appreciate that, definitely. And I'm sure those that are definitely affected by um, what your organization um, definitely deals with are, are very happy about that. We, were, we, we left kind of um, where we were talking about um, uh, people kind of being put into two categories, being both identified as LGBT and uh, both being identified as autistic. And the challenges with being... Um, you know, the stigma that you, you mentioned before of both of those groups and having to deal with them and coming out and accepting that. Um, w- how do you guys help with people who are having problems in that in those areas? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting situation for us because it is, a, it is what we call a tale of uh, two clauses. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the LGBT coming out. That's one thing. And we have the autism uh, coming out. A lot of people... Uh, suspect that they're autistic um, and just will not go and get uh, diagnosed because they're afraid of the stigma. Um, and then there's also LGBT people who uh, will not <laughs> yeah. come out mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. So we do have a tale of two coming out. And both of them are, are, are very independent in, in the way that they're treated. But there are a lot of uh, similarities in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, there's, you know, there's some stigma there. There's, there's family challenges, relationship challenges. So, it just, it just reminds me a lot of, of LGBT. Yeah. Um, well, with you guys LGBT. trying to grow globally with, um, you know, having people uh, represent Twainbo and to uh, provide, um, you know, a, a place, I guess, where people can a come for information and b, if there is help that they need, that you can g- direct them. Uh, how was that? How was that progress going for your group? And um, you know, are you offering? Do you offer types of uh, sit down group types of things for people to enter, or do you do one on one? I guess I'm kind of confused, and I mm-hmm. want to make sure I get some clarity about you know how much hands on are you with people who might need some assistance on how do I deal with this or where do I go to? What is it that you guys do, and why and how are you progressing globally to get that done? Right, we we tend to focus as the first uh, the horse out of the gate, as it were. <laughs> yeah. We we are more. Um, focused on attention mm-hmm. uh, to the fact that the community does exist. We are also uh, trying to, uh, we're developing a, um, a, a page that will uh, bring resources on, you know, in one place so people know where to go uh, for these. If people do want to have a chat, we do have that number available. Um, it is on our website at twainbow.org, T-W-A-I-N-B-O-W.org. Uh, but we provide... Uh, Outreach, so we have um, pride parade marches. Um, as, um, we did that in Toronto. We did that in Houston. Uh, we're doing that in L.A. and New York this year. Um, uh, we also provide education. Um, and um, we're also um, initiating research this next year uh, in t- for 2017, in which we actually reach out to our community and just get some numbers. We don't even have numbers, mm-hmm. believe it or not. 
mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, we were the first organization to compile these numbers. So it's still very much a brand spanking new kind of concept for people, <laughs> even within the autism community. Oh, my. So, yeah. Well, you, in, in Pride last year, in Pride 2016, I think that was in Houston that you were there, you actually developed a, a, a flag specific for... That's right. It was in 2015. We actually, as one of our very first um, initiatives, was to reach out to the autism LGBT community. Um, and so we had people who were autistic and some people who were LGBT and some who were both. And they just put in their uh, their ideas of what they wanted it to look like. Some people submitted drawings and, and that sort of thing. And, and we ended up with a an online poll and the, the tricolor uh, pride flag is what we have. It has a white uh, infinity sign on it rather than the puzzle piece. Um, that's another area there. Uh, the, the puzzle piece very often to a lot of autistics represents uh, something missing or somebody is incomplete, and we don't feel that way. Uh, so a lot of us tend to use the uh, infinity symbol rather than the puzzle piece. Um, I, I'm kind of, you mentioned some places that you were planning on um, being a part of pride parades that you're planning on being a part of in this mm-hmm. this year and you did mention San Francisco you didn't t- mention San Francisco and the reason why I'm saying that is because um, being that we do have a you know one of the largest concentration of LGBT um, community you know people in the in communities across the world that I would imagine with this two percent uh, estimation um, that there would be some people that would would be effective here directly, um, and we have people coming from all over the world just to attend LGBT uh, our Pride here. And I know you're doing New York, uh, very similar uh, there as well. Um, have, have there been some thoughts about trying to contact the organizations here about being a part of that? I am very much interested in that personally, and certainly the board supports me, the organization as a whole. Uh, what we do require is somebody on the ground, and we have not identified yet anybody on the ground who is LGBT and autistic that is willing to take it and go with it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that we're missing. Um, we, uh, I would love to be in London, for example. I would love to be in, in Paris and you know all these other large cities, but um, it, it's just getting out there and getting our word out and then some you know a lot of times people have to reach out to us because they have to self-identify first well and then and now that, um, that was one of the things i was going to say it, it probably lgbt identifying that kind of determining whether or not that's who you are may be a little bit easier than for them to identify that they're autistic and only because of like we were talking about the spectrum on the spectrum, on the scale here, they may not realize that what they may be going through from that standpoint, these great, you know, their inability, their abilities to, or they're pro- having problems in the gray areas and other sensitivities that you mentioned, that that is really associated with being autistic. They may not yeah. know that. Um, is, is that a large problem of that people being able to identify that that is a part of who they are? Well, you know, the majority of autistics uh, may remain undiagnosed their entire lives. Mm-hmm. The majority of autistics that have ever lived did remain undiagnosed their entire lives. In the U.S., we didn't even have a translation of Hans Asperger, you know, yeah. autism Asperger's thing. Did not have an English uh, translation of his works until the 80s. So, you know, I was, uh, I was born in the 70s, and I say... Uh, it, it's you know it's not just children. I think at that point I myself had never heard of Asperger's until I was diagnosed at the age of forty. 
um, is, uh, is so, I didn't know any of this mm-hmm. uh, at all. I'd never heard of it. So, and, I, and I know that I'm not the only one, and I know that most people do remain undiagnosed. What is healthy, I'll tell you, is that there are uh, a whole host of uh, celebrities like Dan Aykroyd, um, Courtney Love, Daryl Hannah, a uh, whole lot of people coming out. Uh, Susan Borrell, you, you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came out publicly with that first. Um, and, uh, and so that's helping. But, but think about it. Here it is, 2017, and we're only just now beginning to talk about this. You know, at least from an adult perspective, it's often considered a childhood thing. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I think that's probably the biggest challenge is that, you know, we generally think of it as that, yeah, that if you were, it would diagnose, you would have done been so early on in life. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> as, 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 as we've gotten older, if there are some things that we are having challenges with, we probably would eliminate that from a possibility in our minds just because, you know, well, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'm, I'm, you know, 30 years old. There's no way that that's what I'm going through because that, that would have come out when I was young, you know, very young. That's right. So I that, was actually told, you yeah. know. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Liz. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I, I, I was actually told um, when I came out publicly, I had written a piece in, uh, for uh, CNN and also um, I did a LinkedIn article. Uh, uh, and uh, I came out publicly and I had an individual come to me and say, well, it's not possible for you to be autistic because, uh, that's something that children have. And, uh, you know, I have a problem with, uh, you know, have and the word, uh, you know, somebody with autism in the, in the, in the first place, uh, uh, because it often makes it sound like it's a disease or that it's a temporary uh, situation uh, or something that can be treated. But, uh, but, yeah, I was actually told that, that uh, it wasn't possible because uh, you, you have to be a kid. <laughs> yeah, that that has to be frustrating in itself right there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, why don't you give me some inf- uh Give me again, the the the, the website is twainbow.org. That's T-W-A-I-N-B-O-W.org. And people can go to the website and, um, and um, you know, get information that they need there. What other links or social media links do you have out there where people can at least, you know, tune in socially and, uh, you know, just get information or to feel a part of the community and not alone? Yeah, one of our biggest uh, uh, social media pieces is uh, uh, Twainbow, uh, uh, the uh, Twitter, uh, Twainbow on Twitter, which is Twainbow Tweet. Uh, so it's uh, T-W-E-E-T at the end of Twainbow. Uh, also on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page, um, but um, yeah, we uh, we are available there as well as uh, you can uh, look online at our uh, the website tweenbo.org and and find some other social media there as well, like the uh, Instagram network. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Well, this has been enlightening. It really has, and I thank you very much. No, for you reaching out to us here on It's Everything About This because it was definitely something that I was unaware of. And so, you know, me being so in the know, being a part of It's Everything, <laughs> that, that if I don't know, I know most of the people out there don't know. So um, I'm really glad that we were able to get you uh, on the show today and to at least spread, you know, make again, part of the main problem is awareness and um, getting it out there that, you know, this is something that exists and, you know, the LGBT community, um, you know, 
know, definitely need to be aware of another potential uh, thing that we might need to tackle there. So that's um, um, really important. So thank you so much for being on the show. And, you know, uh, we'll be checking in with you to see how things are going globally for you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I, I look forward to, uh, to hearing your other shows. And uh, uh, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege. Well, thank you again. This is Lewis Molnar on the show here, uh, founder and chair of Twain Bow. And um, we want to thank him again for being on the show. And we're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be joined with one of the LGBT community's icons, uh, Sister Roma. She is celebrating 30 years of community service. We'll be right back. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Well, welcome back, everybody, to It's Everything. Uh, we are the Sunday weekly edition of the Michelle Meow Show. So we're here every Sunday at noon, PST out there for you guys on the, another timeline. You guys have to do the math. I can't do the math for you there. But welcome back. Uh, we definitely had a great uh, conversation with Louis Molnar with uh, Twain Bow 
and talked about the correlation or the connection between LGBT um, identification and uh, being autistic. And oh, that was a lot of information I know for you, but I suggest that anyone who wants to find out more, please go to twainbow.org, T-W-A-I-N-B-O-W.org for more information. But we are now going to enter into a world that we all would love to be a part of because I'm going to be talking to someone very iconic in the LGBT community. As a matter of fact, I thought about playing Madonna's, Madonna's iconic song, you know, that iconic, that song before uh, bringing her on the show. But I thought that might be a little bit of too, you know, kishi on that. So anyway, <laughs> but we all know her. We all love her. It's the one and only Sister Roma. How are you, dear? <laughs> hey, hi, girl. How are you? I am so fine. And it's so good to um, have you on today in particular because I know you're getting ready to go on a wonderful trip. And we'll talk about that in a moment to Australia. But, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to believe, I guess, that you've actually been doing the things that you do in the community and giving community service for 30 years. I know. Isn't that crazy? 30 that, years. I mean, 30 years is like a really long time. <laughs> there are yeah, a really long time. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> I, I know, uh, you know, the, the people that you converse with a lot you know, weren't even born when you started being a sister of the perpetual indulgence. And so it's kind of, you know, your your community service exceeds the <laughs> the years of their age. So it's kind of, you know, cha- you know, kind of weird, I guess, to, to see that. But but, you know, you are a sister of the, uh, uh, the sister of perpetual indulgence. And how did that all come about here in San Francisco for you? I mean, what was the catalyst that got you to join such an organization, particularly that it was during the infancy? I mean, what they probably were only around for a few years before you became a sister. Yeah, the sisters had started in 1979, and they gained popularity really quickly, and they soon found their their main focus to be fundraising and activism, like immediately around the time that HIV and AIDS started to ravage the community. As some of your listeners may know, the sisters were the first group ever to produce a safer sex pamphlet and to hold a fundraiser to raise money for people who were being affected by HIV and AIDS. So the sisters have been on the forefront in the war against HIV and AIDS since their inception. And at the point of their, their most great popularity, they probably had over 40 members here in San Francisco. And then there was a division that happened in the order, which was kind of interesting. It's sort of a part of the dark history of the sisters. And that is that some of them wanted to make it a profitable organization and they wanted to benefit from being a sister personally. So they wanted to do postcards and merchandise, which is something that we see all the queens do today. But the other half of the sisters were like, no, we're a nonprofit organization. We're fundraisers. We're community servants. And we've never been about profits or making money for ourselves individually. So it actually led to such a division in the sisters that it went to the court. And the, the court decided that the sisters who wanted to be individual uh, and profit from the organization could be the, the unincorporated Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Inc. were the group that started the fundraising and wanted to be the nonprofit organization. So wow, I didn't. I, I didn't even know that. I know this is what I'm giving you. A I'm being history. educated here. I I, I yeah. didn't even know about this this whole you know 
this reality show based information. Right? I know, right? Girl, the drama. I tell you. The drama. And it was in the papers and it was quite well known at the time. So when I joined in 1987, the split had happened and it, it, there had been the unincorporated sisters basically disappeared. And the Sisters of Professional Indulgence Inc. was down to just a small handful of nuns. There was really only seven sisters who were active in the time in the city. And one of them happened to be my good friend, Norman, who was Sister Luscious Lashes. So he brought me into the order. And one of the first questions that I would get when I joined right away was, are you a good sister or a bad sister? People would ask me, referring to the split that happened. Wow. Like the Wizard of Oz, are you a good witch or a bad witch? (laughs) It was very that. And it was so funny because I didn't even know those other girls. Like, I, I had met them once or twice, and then over the years now, I've gotten to know some of them, and they're amazing, and that includes Sister Chanel 2001, who was the first, who was Gilbert Baker, who actually designed the gay flag. I mean, there's, they were they were all amazing people. All of the sisters, regardless of which side of that spectrum they found, were interesting and fabulous fundraisers and great people. But, um, I, you know, I just, I would say, well, I hope I'm a good sister. I said, I don't really know the other sisters, but I'm a member of SPI Inc. So for a long time, we were very careful to make sure that people called the us distinction. sisters. Yes, that we were the sisters of Belgium's Inc. Now, 30 years later, we've been able to drop that. That other group doesn't exist. And and here we are. Yeah. And yeah, well, like you said, it's so crazy because 30 years, there are sisters who now are who are sisters in the order now who, who they're like, I was in fourth grade when you joined the order. I know, right? Order, right. Know? And it, well, well the, part of me is part of me is they're like, God, you're old. You know, part of me is like, well, like, you know, I guess I am. I mean, I'm I'm going. I'm 54, but um, right? Are yeah, yeah, you're, you, yeah. We are. We are for the moment. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is that you you brought up that the you know one of the main things at the beginning was um, definitely the HIV crisis. The you know the HIV and AIDS crisis, which definitely you know, it required really your attention because no one else was um, actually focusing on it. And, you know, you guys did a lot to, um, you know, uh, to bring awareness and to uh, hand out the pamphlets and actually care for so many. I remember stories that you've told where many times the sisters would see someone who was being affected by HIV and AIDS, and it basically just needed someone to either hug, talk to, whatever, and you guys supplied a lot of that support for people that weren't getting it from the public at large. Um, but, of course, as time has gone on, there's been other challenges in which you've also been at the forefront of as a Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and you included, and I know for sure, one of the things that you were, you know, instituted or helped to bring uh, to light was the Whistle Project that we have here in San Francisco, you know, uh, that dealt with safety and and those issues. Why don't you talk about how that came to be and and how you, why you took the reins and kind of said, we need to do this for our people in the community. Well, one of the things that attracted me to the sisters immediately was their fearlessness. And I was so impressed by the impact that this small group of people had on our community, on the city, on politics, on social ideals, and, and basically the world. Eventually the world, the sisters would become great motivators for change worldwide. But the thing that I realized right away was that being a sister gave me a voice and a platform. And we had an audience and we had the power to to create change. And there was a huge increase in hate crimes 
around the Castro and Dolores Park, and this was in 1989, which was the 10-year anniversary of the sisters. And I took advantage of that, the notoriety of that event to create a Stop the Violence campaign because I was pissed, basically. Mm-hmm. I was just really upset that there was that people were attacking members of our community in these brutal and hateful ways, and I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to raise people's awareness to the fact that this was happening, and I wanted to provide them some kind of safe haven, some place, some identifying symbol of where to go to get help. And that's how I designed the window placard that you still see today. It's the pink triangle in the middle, and it says Stop the Violence on it. And we've got merchants and individuals displaying that poster in their windows, and that sends a sign to people that that's a, a place where you can go if you need help. And then we added to that the whistle distribution, and we started to go all through the Castro and the Mission, and we went to college campuses, and we handed out safety information and whistles and, and placards. And we did that for many, many years. And then that, that campaign sort of ran its course. People get involved in other things, and things happen. And it wasn't until 2010 when Stephen Powell, a young 18-year-old African-American, was murdered at Pink Saturday. And that event devastated me, devastated the sisters, and the community was shook to its very core. And we had to look long and hard at the viability of producing such an event if it was going to be so violent because here was a young beautiful man who was there to celebrate who was shot in crossfire in a person who was unrelated to Pink Saturday and I was so uh, upset and didn't want his death to be in vain that I resurrected the Stop the Violence campaign in 2010 and we had a huge march through the Castro down to the corner of Church and Market where another hate crime had taken place and we announced that we were going to start the campaign again and well, now that campaign has to be important uh, based on, you know, w- what our state of affairs are now and things that have been, you know, heard and seen um, as far as the attack on the LGBT community, you know, since our new uh, administration has been in place. Um, you know, I can't see. I mean, this is a very important program today. It has to be. Oh, it is. We have done this campaign continuously since 2010. We've joined forces with the SFPD and Castro Community Mm -hmm. on Patrol and Kuav. We've increased the amount of exposure and information that we provide. We've handed out hundreds of thousands of whistles. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times we've walked through the Castro and and just give people whistles and tell them to put them on your keychain, carry them, blow them three sharp blows if you see someone who needs help or if you yourself need help. And we know that it really works. These are really effective ways, and we've also added uh, self-defense training courses and public forums. And then it, with the recent changes in Washington and the, and the fear brought about by the social climate of the election and our president, mm-hmm. <laughs> so hard to say, Trump, um, <laughs> that, that we've, we're busier than ever with Stop the Violence, holding community forums all over the city to help people feel safety and learn what to do. Honey Mahogany and I just hosted a, a real talk at Strut in the Castro about what to do next to face the next four years. So that's the kind of thing that I'm still very passionate about. Well, we're going to take a, um, a quick break, and then when I come back, I, I kind of want to also uh, talk about how your life has changed over the last 30 years because of your involvement. I mean, you're a public figure, and I want to I talk about how all of that has affected you. And we'll be right back 
which is just around my hair on It's Everything. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Well, we're back. We are now entering our final quarter of today's program here on It's Everything. Um, I'm B.B. Sweetbriar, and we've been speaking with the uh, most photographed nun in the world. And that is not a lie, y'all. That is just not a lie. I think even Sister Teresa couldn't even put that on anything, any bio or anything like that. I, uh, You are. You're, you are world-renowned. I mean, people know you from everywhere. You're about to go to Mardi Gras, right, to be in the um, Pride, their Pride festivities in Australia. And this is not your first international trip to participate in a Pride or something of significance to deal with the LGBT community. And, you know, as I was mentioning before we took the break, you know, you've gone to being involved in a grassroots organization back in 1987 to being a public figure worldwide. And I'm not saying this because I know you so well and, you know, we're great friends, but, you know, you, when people hear of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, you are pretty much identified with that or you know vice versa you are attached to that like you know white on rice so to speak and how has that changed i mean i'm sure this is not 
where you are today as far as your recognition and your ability to create change in your ability to have an immediate impact with politicians, with policy making, all of those things. People seek out your your position and your opinion on things. I'm sure that's not what you thought would happen once you joined the organization. I mean, how have you been able to deal with that? Right. It, it's sort of, it's mind-blowing. But I, you know how it is. This is your 10th year as BB Sweet Fryer doing what you do, the great community service, the entertainment. And you know how it just sort of sneaks up on you, the notoriety, the the impact, like you said, that you have on people's opinions and then become hobnobbing with politicians and being involved with great organizations like the Imperial Court and the Pride Board. And this, the San Francisco offers us so many opportunities, and what we, we just go about doing what we do. I joined the Sisters because I all of a sudden realized that I cared about my community and I wanted to make a difference. And I just kept my head down and volunteered and showed up and did the work. I have been blessed to serve meals to homeless people and to provide needles to intravenous drug users and to counsel and minister and listen to and speak to homeless people. I have marched with Black Lives Matters. I have a huge trans advocate. I just really care about people, and I care about our human rights and our civil rights and the quality of life for everyone around me. So when I see something that I think is wrong, I have to speak out and I am moved to action to try and make it better. And sometimes that's just as simple as a one-on-one interaction with someone, and sometimes it's a huge rally or a huge event that attracts all sorts of, of attention. And the next thing you know, you turn around and people associate you with the work that you've done. And the reason that I say I'm the most photographed none in the world is because, like we've been saying, this is my 30th year. So if you think about all the times that you go out and drag and all the photos that people have taken, and, and sometimes people, the, the stealth photos are the ones that we don't know about. Those are the ones that people sneak when you're not looking. I mean, you know, so I just, I just sort of made that into my tagline as a joke. But I think it's, reason, it's true. <laughs> well, That's not a, it's that, true. That I'm so associated with the sisters is that I, one of the reasons is I've been one of the most continuously active. I mean, Sister Vicious Power Hungry Bitch, one of the founders, is still active. She and I were in Prague together for Pride. We were grandmasters of the Prague Pride Parade last year. And she is the person that I have to thank and, and admire for everything that she's done. I mean, talk about a catalyst. This whole crazy sister idea was hers and a few of her friends. Yeah. So there are people who've been sisters longer than I have, but I've just been very, very visible. Yeah, well, a and big mouth, you the, know, when <laughs> I get out there and I, I talk a lot. And I well, and I the just, things that you've tackled, you know, have been global issues. For one, you know, the Facebook um, "My Name Is" thing. I mean, that's a global thing. Not only the LGBT community, as everyone now, you know, it affects. Everyone. There are so many people. So when right. you when you're when you're involved with things that affect everybody or large, you know, people from all over the the globe, of course, 
you know, um, you're going to get that recognition or definitely that exposure and people are aware, oh, this came about because, or I'm aware of this because, and your name is somehow attached to that. Um, right. and, you know, and, and like I said, the Facebook thing is definitely one that, um, you, you know, was global immediately. You know, we, we both can talk about how many countries came on board immediately after, uh, you know, what we saw as attack on at first drag queens. And then, you know, it got so much bigger after that. Um, yeah. Um, well, you know, when I first started doing the sisters, I mean, it was a different world at the time mm-hmm. and there was no social media. And if we got our picture in the newspaper, it was a huge deal. That was really the only way that that people learned about who you were, the newspaper and television. And we, the sisters were always very lucky to have caught the attention of the media. The press was infatuated with the idea of these mostly men dressing as nuns and the outrage that it caused in, in so many communities. And Including the Catholic diocese. <laughs> oh, oh, honey, yeah. I mean, we, we would not be here today if it wasn't for the outrage of the archbishop. And when they tried to get the ordered the San Francisco City Supervisors to not allow us to close Castro Street for our 20th anniversary celebration. That caught the attention of CNN, and they literally followed us up and down Castro Street for an entire day. And it was, you know how CNN, every their top news story just plays over and over and over again? Right. I must have been on CNN a hundred times that, that for the, those few days when they talked about that. And the Board of Supervisors did grant us that street closing, and it turned our little, innocent little anniversary party into a huge, huge event. global event. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. didn't not expect as many people to show up as it did. And that's when we, we moved from, because we were doing it prior to that, we were doing it in the little park in the Castro at the church, uh, Eureka uh, Collingwood Park, but we realized that it was too big, so we moved to Dolores Park. And then when they closed Dolores Park for, for renovations, we moved to Golden Gate Park, and now we fill Golden Gate Park. Yeah. So... We there were like 10,000 people there. 10,000 people yeah. come to the Sisters Anniversary Party now. <laughs> we went all to the Catholics. <laughs> but, um, you know, that kind of stuff, you can't plan on that. You can't expect that to happen. You know, and, and I never honestly did it for any kind of anything except for that I wanted to honor my sisters and I wanted to serve my community and be the best that I can be. Well, and the, the, the whole My Name Is thing started with a tweet. Like, you, that's when you realize, oh, my God, people do pay attention. Yeah. People are listening. And now more than ever, everyone is tuned in and connected. And, and people pick stuff up and it spreads and it goes viral. And so it's really important to remember well, do you, do you, do you, voice. you, everybody has a voice today, well, really. Do, you, know? do you, do you, because of your, your fingers on the pulse of what's going on out there and your immediate access to hundreds of thousands of people, because on all of your, your, um, social media accounts, you've, you know, you've got tens and thousands of, tens of thousands of people following you. Um, do do you go through a process of censoring yourself at all um, when you say anything? I mean, because we know as, you know, we have personal feelings about things. Do you ever go through it in your head about, oh, I I may not, I probably shouldn't put that out there because people are going to take it wrong or or you're going to get personally attacked or any, does any of that process go through your head when you want to comment on something or say something? It does, you know, and I, 
the thing is, like, well, I just came out and said that I didn't think that Lady Gaga's performance was all that great at the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, and I know I saw your comment to what I said, and you're right. She is a huge advocate for our community, and she's saying some really important words that have never been heard on that stage before. I was, and I wasn't talking about her stamina or, or stamina or anything like that. <laughs> I, I think she is amazing, but I just was sort of like, I watched it, and I was like, eh. you know, it just didn't really wow me the way I wanted it to. And the backlash is like, wow. <laughs> you know, some people totally agree, of course. Right. And there's other people who are like, I'd like to see you do that. <laughs> I would give a black, a backflip, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, you know. But um, you have to think about it. And that's, to be honest, that's one of the reasons that I found sobriety as well. Because, you know, I have been very open about how I used crystal meth for many years. And, and it's been over 10 years that I quit doing that. But I continue to drink. And occasionally that drinking would lead me into like, oh, let's get some cocaine and like, let's have a party. And then I next thing I know I had been out for 24 hours and I was in the same makeup and everything. And I'm like a complete mess. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I was like, this is really not who I am. This is not who I want to be. And this is not, I've reached a point now in, in my life where like I have people looking to me in a certain way and I don't want to present that face to the community. So it really motivated me to just quit everything. I just find it easier and healthier and I feel so much better just to refuse alcohol. It's really, and I'm very lucky that it has been super easy for me. I just celebrated four years on February 1st. And, and congratulations on that. And I've known you through, through some of that and, right. um, and, you know, like I said, we've been friends and compadres on many things for so long, you know, um, that I know some of the questions that we talked about, some of the things we talked about today are something that I take for granted. But I know other people don't know and, you know, kind of, you know, I, I want to inquire so that you could tell people about some of the things that they've thought about. And unfortunately, you know, 30 years is a lot of stuff to compact into 30 minutes. And, <laughs> and we probably could go on for three days talking about all the things that you've done and all the things you continue to do and all the things that you will do as time continues to go on. Um, but we just don't have that time to do that for you today. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just think you deserve all the recognition that comes your way for all the things that you do for not just the LGBT community, but you've done so much that benefits everybody. Um, and um, I, I just, you know, I adore you and I want to applaud you. And, you know, I want to thank you for not only being my friend, but just being a great citizen. Of this well, world. thank you. You know, here, let's make a date. Let's talk on my 60th anniversary. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> you might be talking to Eric because I probably won't be here. But football's going to be here, please. They're going to be like, are those two still alive? Okay, oh, we're going to be the new Golden Girls for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you again for being on the show, Sister Roma. I really appreciate you. Please go out and find her on every every uh, social media network out there and tell her hey and give her a kudos for her 30th year celebration. For you out there, thank you for joining us and I will see you next week here on It's Everything. Bye-bye. <laughs>